So as I mentioned a little bit earlier, um, I was kind of down earlier this week. I had the, I think the flu. Now here's the deal. I'm, I know it's surprising. I'm not a doctor, but I did, uh, I was pre-med my first semester in college. I took two poli sci's, a history and an English, so my medical license is basically up to date. Uh, I think I had the flu, right? But I didn't go to any doctor because by the time I got around to actually rolling off the floor, it was Thursday or Wednesday. And so, um, but I've got this weird residual cough, and I told you earlier, it's going to be a problem. So let's just embrace it. It's going to be there, but I'm well. I'm feeling great. I'm, uh, I'm much better. I have been resurrected from the carpet to the standing up here, and uh, that's been since Thursday, so I'm in a full recovery, but that thing is still lingering. And of course, it's lingering on the one Sunday that we've got a lot to get through, and we're beginning this great new journey, and perhaps the most difficult preaching journey of my 28 years in ministry. And I don't say that lightly. I preached a lot of sermons out of the book of Romans in my life. But I have not tackled and gone through Romans from verse 1 through the entire thing, verse by verse by verse, and moved through the whole thing. And there's a lot of reasons for that. There's there's reasons Romans, as I told Brandon and Jenny and Don, our staff meetings, is not really meant to be preached. It's almost, and I say almost because we're going to do it, it's almost unpreachable. And there's reasons for that. And there's a reasons it's a difficult adventure. And, and, and I'm going to give you a few of them because I want you to understand what we're getting ready to embark on and the challenge that it will be, not just for, for me or for Brandon as we preach this, but for you as people of the community that are going to engage in this word. And so here are a couple of reasons why this book, uh, this letter that Paul writes to the church in Rome is, is as difficult as it is to preach, right? It's not a difficult book. It's an incredible book, but it's difficult to preach. And here's the reason why. Romans is not actually meant to be dissected in short segments once a week. It's not written that way. It's not written for us to look at Romans 1, 8 and 9 and understand its depth. Because here's the thing. You can't really understand Romans chapter 3 until you get to chapter 6. And if you don't have chapter 9, chapter 3 makes very little sense. And if you read chapters 1, verses 22 through 27, you can't understand it fully without the light of chapter 12. Right? It gets a little complicated. And on top of that, for example, we're going to meet Jesus today, but we're not going to really see Jesus again until chapter 3, verse 22. Now, the way that we move through Scripture is we're not going to go chapter 1, verse 1, all the way to chapter 3 in a week. In fact, I had a hard time getting past Romans 1, 1 today. One, one. One verse, one sentence of the first chapter. Chapter 3 is like August, right? So this is what makes it complicated. In order to really understand one, we have to have what happens in August, in order to understand what happens in August, we have to have to understand the next August, right? Because we are decades away from finishing this thing. So as I, I, I laid out this kind of skeleton thing, I just, I told Jake, who's leading our youth, I said, hold it delicate like a bird, right? Because if you squeeze it, you're going to kill it. Because there's no way we can stick to the schedule. So it's not really meant to be preached like that. It's meant to be studied. It's meant to be wrestled with. It's meant to be kind of debated and struggled through and, and, and kind of toiled over in group. It's meant to ask questions and, 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 and really put your heart into it. And preaching doesn't really do that well. So that's kind of the first reason. The second reason is that Romans does deal with some of the most complex and complicated theology in all of Scripture. That's just true. 
Now, if you've been in Romans at all, you know this. It deals with very real, very challenging, very difficult things. Things that are hard to hear, things that are hard to preach, and things that are hard to understand, all wrapped into one. And part of the struggle is Paul doesn't exactly lay out these things and make them understandable. In fact, Peter himself says that Paul's writing is hard to understand. Paul does not do us or himself any favors because he leaves a lot of things unanswered. He leaves them open-ended. And for preaching, that's really not great. See, preachers love to tie things up in these nice little bows. They like to give you three points in a poem and have you walk out of here and go, that was great. Paul just drops a bunch of stuff on the floor and says, here it is. Figure that out. Which he seems to know and then wants you to know and figure out on your own because Paul's deepest desire is that you're wrestling with who Christ is, your own relationship with him, and the word of God. Paul's not really interested in actually giving you succinct answers. He wants you to have this love affair with with the word, with his word, with God's word, right? So, It's challenging because it does deal with complex things. And we've dealt with a lot of those things in the past. We don't shy away from them. Sexuality, you know, uh, all kinds of adultery. We'll talk about anything in here. But some of the things we're going to talk about are not just hard to talk about. They're really hard to understand. And so we're going to have to weigh through them. And you're going to have to put on this sort of deep theological hat to get through them. Now, that's not the whole of the letter, but they're there, and we can't really get around them. The last thing that really makes this book difficult to preach is that Romans has a way of asking a lot of questions and not providing a lot of answers. In fact, Paul's typical answer for a lot of things is, well, that's just the mystery of God, right? He actually says that multiple times in the book, and that's part of the mystery. Well, that's great and all, but that doesn't do what I just mentioned, which is succinctly tie up in a little bow, an easy little palatable, applicable piece for you to walk out with as a hearer and go, man, what a great sermon. If I just go home and pray three times and toss this thing into the fountain, everything's going to be great in my life. Romans doesn't do that. Romans will leave you walking out of here sometimes saying, what just happened here? And why do, what, hmm, why am I such a dirtbag? Right? Like that's where we're going to be left. And I have to resist the urge, and I told this to Brandon this morning, to tie these things up with great little applications. Sometimes we're just going to walk out of here going, wow, that's really deep, and that's really powerful, and I need to sit with that for a while. And part of me is actually really excited about that. I want you to sit with this. Um, It's going to be a great challenge for us, (coughs) excuse me, that are preaching it, and it's going to be a great challenge for you guys as you sit out here because you're going to have to be diligently kind of in your attendance through this thing. Because when you begin to miss weeks at a time, it gets challenging. And so I encourage you as we go through this to make it a priority to to journey through it. We're going to fight through this book in wonderful ways. Now, I say all that to simply say this. The book of Romans actually is really incredible. I mean, it is remarkable. In fact, it is probably, if you were to take a consensus, the most important book in all of Scripture. And I'll tell you why in a moment. But, but it is probably the most book, important book of all of Scripture. In fact, most scholars will probably tell you that. Most preachers will probably tell you that. Um, but that incredible nature deserves to be dealt with in a really kind of honest way. And we've had a lot of people in our lives, Brian and I both, that preachers and friends and pastors that have said they preached through Romans. In fact, we had a good buddy that, that said he's preached through Romans. He did in 16 weeks. And I was like, that's, he didn't preach through Romans. Like, that's impossible. You preached at Romans, 
right? You preached some Romans, um, but that's a chapter a week, and that's a lie. And so, uh, but we're glad you did it because it's good, but that's taking the easy parts or the, or the easier preaching parts and, and turning them into sermons. What we're going to do is wholly different than that. We are going to actually try our best to do what Paul did, which is to start in verse 1 and unpack this thing for the get-go. And sometimes it's going to be great, and there's going to be days we walk out of here going, man, that guy, he needs to go to class. And so I'm learning as we go as well how to, to make this palatable. Part of the challenge of being a preacher is my goal is just simply to make the Word of God accessible to you. Not that you can't access it on your own, but to break it down in such a way that just says, man, this is it's not intimidating. This is knowable, and it's livable, and it's exciting, and, and that's the whole goal. So, so that being said, the book is really amazing, and we're going to have a great time doing it, but it's going to be a little bit of a challenge. It's going to be a little bit different. Ephesians, we did one or two verses, then we made these great applications, and we talked about marriage, and we talked about community, and we talked about living life as a husband and a wife. It's, this is going to be a wholly different experience. Um, it's going to be a little bit deeper, but that's good because we we love that and we want that. And my entire goal as a preacher is just to have you have this love affair with the Word of God. So that being said, second thing I want to tell you is, is I do this every time we start a new adventure, a new book, or a new challenge. I want to tell you a little bit about my type of preaching. And it's important for you that haven't been here since we kind of began Ephesians or Hebrews or something, or maybe you missed those. Um, some of you understand this and have heard this before, but if you are relatively new, it is important for you to understand, kind of so you know where I'm coming from. But but I love to preach the Word of God as it exists in its context and do it kind of in an expository kind of way, which just simply means we're going to look at the text and we're going to exposit the ideas from it and we're going to work through it word by word, line by line, verse by verse. I don't do well with what I call topical preaching, which is just preaching that picks a couple of topics and then moves through them. And there's nothing inherently wrong with that, right? You do a four-week series on friendship or on a five-week series on marriage or whatever. I mean, there's a bunch of them out there, and we'll preach topically from time to time, but we don't do it often. And the reason for that is because it's a real danger. Preaching topically is dangerous because what happens that tends to happen is preachers begin to take Scripture and use it as supplements to their points, so you write a sermon, and you need some supplemental scriptures to support your points, and so you, you find scripture that applies to your points and ends up being subservient to your sermon as opposed to the sermon itself. Our whole goal is that you would have an encounter with God's Word. The real goal of any preacher should not be to entertain you or have you not want to fall asleep or desire to come back. The real goal of any preacher should be to disappear. That should be the goal, to not make everything about himself, but instead to make everything about the Word of God. Like, I hope that all that we do here is introduce you to the Word of God in such a way that says, I want to know who God is. Right? So that should be our goal, and that's what we love to do. I am not a great preacher, right? I am probably not even a good preacher, but this is what we love. And this is what we want, and this is what we're about as a church. We want to be so bibliocentric, so kind of Bible-driven, that you can't walk out here of a Sunday morning and say, man, I didn't need to bring my Bible. If there's ever a Sunday where you walk in this room and you don't need it on a Sunday, and you walk out of here and say, I shouldn't bring it, please, and I say this honestly with all of my heart, don't come back. Go find a church that does that, because we have then lost our way. If you don't have that encounter with the Word of God on a Sunday morning, you have missed what we are called to be as a church. So that is vitally important. If you're not in the habit of bringing your Bible to church, change that. Be in the habit of bringing it. If you don't have one, 
Take the one that's in front of you. You can't read it in here anyway. You can read it at home. The print is so small. I don't know if you we're getting new ones eventually, but right now you can take it home and read it. Take it home and read it. <clears throat> or let us know. Brandon will give you one of his. He's got like 500, right? We'd love for you to bring it every week because we are going to be in it, all right? All right, so that being said, and then finally, let me give you a quick little word about Romans, and then we're going to just kind of dive into it this morning. But, but Romans is a different book than all of Paul's other letters to his churches because the majority of Paul's letters were written to churches that he had relationships with. He knew them well. He had spent time with them. <clears throat> Ephesians is a great example of this. Remember, Paul spent three years with the church in Ephesus. So what we see is this deep familiarity, this sort of deep love, this understanding. He had already taught them so much. Ephesians is this tiny little cap, this reminder, this, this push forward, right? Galatians, Paul's writing to a church that he knows and loves, confronting them because they were giving in to all kinds of heresy. Philippians, Paul's writing them because he loved the church in Philippi. Like, Paul wrote to most of the churches that he had a relationship with. The Romans, <coughs> excuse me, are very different. Pretty much all scholasticism agrees that the book of Romans is written somewhere between about AD 56 and AD 58 to a church that Paul had never been to. In fact, we know that Paul had yet to ever be to go to Rome. He wanted to, and he will eventually get there, but he won't get there to visit the church in Rome. But he wants to get there. In fact, we learn at the end of the book that Paul wants to visit the church and the believers in Rome on his way to go to Spain. So Paul's missionary desires are, are huge at this point in time. He probably wrote this book at the end of the third missionary journey, and he was bringing back an offering from the churches to the poor believers in Jerusalem. And that's why he writes a letter. He, instead of going up to Rome at that exact moment, he basically tells them, I've got to take this offering to Jerusalem, and then I'm going to come to you. And I long to come to you. And so what the letter of Romans is, it's a letter written by Paul to a church he doesn't know, to people he's never had experience with. And they are predominantly Gentiles. As you can imagine in Roman culture, there aren't a lot of Jews, but there is a minority of Jewish believers. Paul will address them in his letter, but the predominant recipient of this letter are going to be Gentile believers in Rome, right? Without a whole lot of understanding of biblical history, God's redemptive story, who Moses was, how Isaiah fits into the mix, what Jesus actually did, what the resurrection was. <clears throat> so what Paul's doing is he's basically writing this incredible systematic theology to a group of people he loves from a distance and one day hopes to visit. And that's why the letter is so remarkable is because it's so different than all the others. He's basically starting from scratch and saying, I'm coming to you, but I'm going to lay a foundation before I ever get there so that when I do show up, we're on the same page. And he lays out this deep and this rich and this powerful theology that begins with the breath of Genesis and takes us all the way through the promised return of Christ. And he deals with life lessons along the way and the complex nature of theology and how it all pours in, in because we're getting this incredible kind of like systematic theology 101, 201, and 301 all in one letter because Paul has yet to spend any time with the church in Rome. So that's kind of why we get there. Other than that, there's really not a whole lot of introduction, right? There's not a lot of relationship there. There's not a lot of history we need to know. The church in Rome is probably a pretty small group of believers um, that have gathered together and that are in desperate, desperate, desperate need of teaching. Right? They are in need of good theology, and so that's exactly what Paul gives them. 
Um, so that's kind of where we are. And so with that kind of being said, we're going to step into this journey and we're going to begin to look at the introduction of the letter. Now, a lot of Paul's letters and introductions are like three or four verses. Hi, I'm Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, sent by so-and-so to do so-and-so. It's good to see you. Grace and peace. High fives. Tell your mom I said hello. Like all those things. The introduction in Romans is 17 verses and it's going to take us five weeks to get through, right? But this is a wholly different letter. And so with that being said, I really almost quit after 1-1 one, one today um, because we were doing all those other things. But I'm, we're going to go ahead and push ourselves through 7, and I'm going I'm to tell you why because it will make sense. As we tackle the first part of the first introduction of the first chapter of this letter. So let's take a moment. Let's pray together as you turn to Romans chapter 1, verse 1. Lord, what a joy to study your word. And I say all those things this morning, Lord, you know, just to be transparent. Right, I don't like to pretend I know more than I do, and I certainly like to pretend more I'm like I have more to offer than I do. The truth is, is that this letter is amazing. God, it's so amazing, Lord. It's so deep and rich, but Lord, it's uh, it's a challenge. It's a challenge to read. It's a challenge to understand. It's a challenge to preach. But that's not something we shy away from. It's actually something we embrace as believers. Like, we don't turn from things we don't grasp. We press into you. Like, the more difficult and the more challenging and the more complicated something is, the more we should be pressing into the heartbeat of God. And so, Lord, we, instead of shying away, we want to press in. We want to ask hard questions. We want to wrestle with things together. We want to understand the nuances of the gospel. But we cannot do this unless you teach us. Lord, you are the revealer of truth, and so we ask for the next 25 years that you would relieve and you would release yourself to us, that you would teach our hearts. Whether that be in Romans or whether that be in Revelation or that be in Daniel or that be in 1 Corinthians, that you would just teach us. Lord, that my words would be shallow and hollow and your words would be deep and rich. Take a moment in your own heart this morning and just for the next few minutes, all right, we're not going to go too crazy this morning. The Lord would just teach you. Ask him just to teach your heart this morning. As we do each week, be in the habit of praying for someone around you or beside you, in front of you, behind you. Just be in the habit of praying for other people. Like we did this morning, we talked about how everything that unfolds on a Sunday morning is not about you your entertainment or just your enjoyment. Just care about the people around you, even if you don't know them. Just pray that God would move in them. Pray for somebody else this morning. Lord, we turn our entire morning over to you. We release our own inhibitions and our own worries and our own um, kind of preconceived notions, and we just ask you to teach our hearts. In Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to do this pretty quickly. There was a big intro there and a lot of prayer time this morning, but there's a lot here in these seven verses, and we're going to try and just kind of breeze through it <clears throat> because I want you to get an idea of where we're headed. But this is Romans 1. We'll read down through verse 7. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel he promised beforehand through the prophets and the holy scriptures regarding his son, who as to his human nature was a descendant of David, and who through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the Son of God by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Through him and for his name's sake we received grace and apostleship to call people from among the Gentiles to obedience that comes from faith. 
And you also are among those who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all in Rome who are loved by God and are called to be saints, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Now you would think that's the end of the intro, but it's not. Paul actually continues on this one big long sentence. But it's where we're going to stop this morning because basically what Paul's going to do in these little verses here is he's going to give you a quick introduction to who he is. He's going to give you a quick introduction to the gospel. And he's going to give you a quick introduction to the implications of the gospel, all rolled up in those first few verses. Now, it helps to remember that these are people that Paul's never met. So he's not assuming that they know any of these things. He's not assuming that they have this deep background or this well of theology to draw from. He's assuming that from day one, they don't really even know who he is. He's assuming they don't have a deep, true, like real knowledgeable understanding of the gospel, but they surrender their life to Christ. And he don't, he's assuming that maybe they don't know the full implications of that gospel. And Paul assumes that because he himself has not taught them. So he starts off by saying, I want to tell you a couple quick things about myself. I know you may not know me. I haven't visited you, but let me tell you about who I am, right? And Paul's introduction about himself is quick, but it's powerful. And he says this, he says three things. He says, I am Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel. So he says, I am Paul, right? Maybe you heard of me, maybe you haven't, but I am a servant of Christ Jesus. So the first thing he basically says is that I am a servant, I am a doulos, I am a bond servant of Christ. I am not your leader, I am not the leader of the church, I am not some powerful person, I am not what would one day be the Pope or some super religious high priest. I am simply a bond servant of Jesus. Right? So he's basically telling them that he has no real kind of power over them, which is important because what he's getting ready to say next is that he actually does, right? So he's setting them up, basically saying, I'm not your supreme leader. I'm just a servant of Christ. However, I have a special calling. And so he says, I'm a servant of Christ, right? But I'm also an apostle, a called apostle of Christ. Now, An apostle is someone who has been called and sent for a particular purpose. Now, you know this to be true about Paul, right? Remember Paul's journey? He's set out to persecute Christians, to capture them, to kill them. He's on his way on the road to Damascus, right, with a letter from the high priest to go and capture and arrest Christians. And Jesus shows up in this blinding light, strikes Paul to the ground. Essentially, he goes blind. Paul wanders in, led by the hand of the people he's with, into this town. And Ananias, who doesn't want to actually go up to Paul, because they all hate Paul, because Paul's a killer and a persecutor of Christians, but told by God to do it, Ananias goes up to Paul and says, Brother Paul, right, God has basically called you for a different purpose, and I'm here to tell you that. And then in full audible kind of fashion, God speaks, and everybody hears, and he says, This is Paul, my servant, whom I have chosen to take the gospel to the world. That is the call of an apostle. And so this is what Paul is basically saying to those Roman Christians, is that I am a servant of Jesus Christ first and foremost. I am not your leader. I'm not the leader of the church. I'm none of those things. However, I have a special and an authoritative call. My words are not really my words. Now, we know this to be true because in 1 Thessalonians, Paul says this to the church in Thessalonica. Right? He says this, he says, And I thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, right? you accepted it not as the word of men, but as it actually was, the word of God. 
So what Paul is saying and, and to the Thessalonians and what he's saying to the Romans is, my words as a called servant apostle of Christ are actually not the words of men. This is why scripture is considered to be God-breathed. Because God has breathed life into Paul, and Paul's words are not just Paul's words. He is the called apostle of Jesus Christ who has authority in the things that he says. So he says, yes, I am not the leader, I am not the pope, I am not the high priest. But my words, they're not normal words. They are authoritative in what I say. And you need to understand that. So he says, I am a servant, and I am an apostle, and I am called and set apart by God himself. So Paul lets the church know in this no uncertain terms that he is not just a teacher. He's not just someone that's been sent to give them some instructions, but that he is a servant of Christ. He's been literally anointed by God as an apostle and his words have authority and power and that he most literally has been called and sent by God himself. His whole life revolves around one mission and that is to take the gospel to the Gentile world. That is Paul's entire movement. It's all of his missionary journeys. It's all the letters that he wrote in the New Testament all rolled up into his entire calling which is my cause to take the gospel to the world, to the Gentiles. This is who I am, and he says it with authority, and it's in one verse. So we've got this sort of background of Paul, and then Paul gives this sort of little snippet of what the gospel is, right? So he's kind of giving this little introduction of himself, and he gives this introduction of the gospel. Listen to what he says about the gospel. He goes on in verse 2. The gospel... He promised beforehand, right? He's, he's basically set apart for the gospel, which God has promised beforehand through the prophets of the scriptures regarding his son, who as his human nature was a descendant of David and through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the son of God, the resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. So here's basically two things that he says about the gospel that he wants everybody to understand from the beginning. He says essentially this, the gospel, right, which was, is, is from God, which I am called to proclaim, right, that's my entire calling, is rooted in the Old Testament scriptures. Now, why would this be important for the Romans, right? For most of us, we get it, right? The whole of Scripture, most of the believers in, in other places that he's writing to, there was a, probably a large group or gathering of Jewish Christians. We know that from Ephesus. They were a Gentile group, but they had a lot of Jewish believers. But for the Romans, they had no real connection to the Old Testament. They had no really connection to um, kind of Mosaic law. They had no real connection to Judaism at all. It had been real easy for them to be like, oh, hey, this Jesus is the new great teacher. Like, all we have to do is believe in him, and that's great. And on one hand, that's true, kind of. Because while we truly only have to believe in Jesus, we have to believe in the whole Jesus, Not just Jesus who shows up at 33 and turns some water into wine and says a bunch of really cool things. We get to follow him around like he's some kind of new age rabbi. But the whole Jesus begins with creation. It begins with a God who made and formed people. It begins with a God who breathed life into the land and into our lungs and formulated this redemptive plan that is carried out through kings and judges and prophets. That the promised Messiah was coming from the line of David. And that's kind of what he mentioned there, that Jesus comes from this Davidic line. That we have to understand the Old Testament 
scriptures to fully understand New Testament Christ. Part of our understanding as the church is that we can't understand 1 Corinthians without Genesis. You can't understand James without Isaiah. The whole of Scripture is God's redemptive plan played out for us. And he looks at the Romans and says, the gospel is not just Jesus. It is the whole Jesus, right? Now, a lot of us in our culture today, we want to believe in just sort of New Testament, New Agey, rabbi, teachy Jesus, right? He just kind of wanders around and says the first will be last and be nice to people and turn the other cheek. And we get to pick and choose some of Jesus' sayings and love those. But we don't know what to do with the Jesus that says, I am fully God, right? The Jesus that says, I am the basically the beginning and the end, that I was present at creation. And what he's telling the Romans is, the gospel is not a formula. It's not a series of just saying, hey, I have some faith, I believe, and now I'm saved. It's the gospel is a person. The euangelion is the Greek word for good news. The euangelion is the person of Jesus Christ, right? So he says the gospel, right, is you got to understand it in the kind of context of the Old Testament as well. He also says the gospel is basically fully and solely, as I just mentioned, about Jesus, right? And Jesus was both fully God and fully man. So he mentions the Davidic lineage because he's basically saying Jesus was a human who came from the line of David, the foretold Messiah, the one that was prophesied about, right? The, the word that really comes from Jesus, or the word Christ, is the word Christos in Greek, which is the same as the Hebrew word Mosiah, which is the idea of being Messiah, Moshika. And that idea means the anointed one both in Greek and in Hebrew, that Jesus was the anointed one. And he was fully man because he came from the line of David. But then Paul says this, And then through who the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the son of God by his resurrection. So Paul says, not only was he fully man from the line of David, the Messiah, the anointed one, the one that was foretold about, the one that was promised to come, but by the power of the Holy Spirit... He was also declared and was fully God and evidenced through the resurrection. So the gospel, right, is rooted in the whole of Scripture and is fully about Jesus, who is both fully man and fully God. So Romans, if you're going to believe in a Jesus that was just a man who walked this earth and did miraculous things, you do not understand the nature of the gospel. But the gospel in its whole is Jesus from the beginning of time and creation forward, fully God and fully man. And then finally, he gives these implications of the gospel in verses 5 down through 7, right? Through him and through his name's sake, you have received grace and apostleship to be called a people who are from among the Gentiles. So basically what he tells them is you're part of a new family. Now this would be very clear for us as we went through Ephesians. A huge part of the first few chapters of Ephesians is about one new family, right? Jews and Gentiles that are, are merged together in this new incredible spiritual family, bridged together by this common saving grace in Jesus Christ. And that's what he's telling the Romans. He's saying, you're part of a much bigger family now. You are Gentile, but you have been called in through your saving faith in Christ. You're part of a much <clears throat> bigger family. And you have been called by and you belong to Jesus. Look at the end of verse 6. And you are also among those who have been called and belong to Christ. Now, this is important because the Romans, especially the Roman, well, I say this, the Roman believers, they were a very small people, 
and they would have been deeply hated people. The Romans hated Christians. They hated Christians for one singular reason. I don't care what any other history book ever tells you. The Romans hated Christians for one reason, and that is not because the, Rome, uh, the Christians believed in Jesus as God. It's because the Christians believed in Jesus as the only God. That was the problem the Romans had. The Romans believed in a pantheon of gods, including emperor worship. Like Nero believed he was a god and was okay with every other god <clears throat> as long as all were worshipped and he was worshipped as well. Well, the Christians basically said, there is only one God and he is the only one that will be worshipped. And the Romans hated that. Because their entire way of life was built around this sort of pantheon of gods who they worshipped and sacrificed to on a daily basis, both bodily and spiritually. So Roman believers were basically people that had rejected an entire way of life and chosen the one hated way of life that the entire culture despised. It was a hard life. And the Jewish believers, we know this, that wasn't much different. When they basically said that Jesus was Messiah, all the other Jews said, no, he wasn't. He was a liar and a criminal. <clears throat> so now you have these two groups of people that are basically ostracized and hated by their own communities. And they don't even really get along. They don't like each other. It's a complicated mess. But what Paul tells them is one of the implications of the gospel is not just that you're part of a new family, but you have been called and you belong to God. These are people who didn't belong anywhere. They didn't belong to Roman culture. They didn't belong to Jewish culture. The Romans didn't belong to Jewish culture. And the Jewish, Jewish people didn't belong to Roman culture. They didn't even belong to their own cultures. They were just gypsies, essentially. And yet Paul tells them, one of the great implications you're going to see in my letter to you, folks, is that you have been called and belong to God. You're not alone. He calls you. And then finally, he looks at him and he says this, not only do you belong and are you called, um, but you who are in Rome are loved by God and you are called to be saints. Again, it's a pretty powerful word to tell somebody that they're loved by God. And remember, Paul just told him that his words are the very words of God. They are authoritative. And so when Paul says you are loved by God, it's not something that they hear lightly. It's a powerful truth. You may not be loved by your mother or by your father or your family has tossed you out because you've believe in Jesus as your Savior, but I will tell you this, you are loved by God. And I don't say that lightly. It's not like, hey, God loves you. It's going to be okay. He's saying, no, the God of the universe loves you. And he actually has given you a new title. And that title is not Roman, and that title is not Jewish. You know what that title is? That title is saint. We've talked about this a lot as well, so we'll get into it too deep. But the idea of saint is not some super pious religious person that does everything morally correct. The Catholic Church has ruined our understanding of the word. Um, the actual idea of saint comes from the idea of being set apart. It's this understanding that we have been set apart for a wholly different purpose. Therefore, anyone that professes faith in Jesus Christ has been set apart for a purpose to be used by God and is therefore a saint. You are not perfect. I'm not perfect. The Romans weren't perfect. The Jewish people weren't perfect. But we have been loved by, called by, and set apart by God to be used for him and for his glory, and we are saints. And so basically he looks at the Romans and he says, I don't know what people have called you your whole life, but God has given you a new identity. You're part of a new family. You belong to him. You are called by him and you are a saint. It's who you are. You have now been set apart for a different purpose. You know what a breath 
of encouraging wind that would be, especially because we don't even grasp how hard life was in the first century, right? You think the world's on fire now. I think people tell you all the time, man, the world's burning, that's terrible, everything's awful. You should have lived in a different era. Like, I had the flu last week. Most likely I would have died at any other point in time in history. Life was tragic in the first century. Believers were most literally being arrested by Nero and put into amphitheaters and torn apart by lions for the entertainment of everyone else. You had a hard time getting up and going to work because it was snowy. That, that's what we're dealing with. Little ice. Yeah, you don't have a tiger tearing out your trachea and using it as a straw, right? That's what was happening. And you were ostracized by your own family who had nothing to do with you. And you were ridiculed in public. And you weren't allowed to any, be a part of any festivals. And you were considered, especially by the Romans, stupid. Because the Romans held high this sort of arc of education and the idiocy of a believing group that thought there was just one person, an actual human that was a god, instead of this sort of pantheon of Zeus and Aphrodite and all these others. What a bunch of intellectual idiots. And yet Paul comes in and says, with all the authority of the very word of God itself, you have been called and you belong to God. He loves you and you are saints. So I don't know what that means for us today. Um, I don't know what you walk away with and go, man, that was really great. But here's the thing. There have been plenty of times in my life where I've wondered who I was. There been plenty of times in my life where I'd wrestled with my own identity, where I felt like I was either a mess or a mistake, or I was blowing this, or I didn't fit in somewhere or whatever. I wrestled with just my own understanding of my own life, whether it was just in general or just deep in my soul. It's a really powerful reminder to realize that you didn't find your way to God, that he actually called you, that if you are a believer and you've given your life to Jesus, he has whispered to your soul, which means that you have heard the audible calling of Jesus in your life. He has called you. He loves you and you belong to him. So whatever the world tells you, whatever the outside world wants to whisper to your soul and tell you you're dumb or you're stupid or you don't have this or you don't belong here or whatever, good. We don't belong there. You have been called out, marked as a different and holy purpose, a saint, and given a brand new identity. And what we're going to see in Romans is that identity that's been given to the church in Rome has been sown deep into who we are. Because that group of people, well, that's us. We essentially are the Romans. We're the outsiders grafted into a holy family who God loves and adores and calls his own. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for just the whisper of truth that is in Romans 1. For the beginning of a great journey, a powerful um, walk through what will be both beautiful beaches and mountains and dense jungle. We pray for opportunity to know you more, and we pray for opportunity to dive into your word. So, Lord, as we close our time in worship this morning, press these truths into our heart. Make us fall in love with your word that is authoritative and that is powerful and that is true. Give us a love affair with the truth of God. 
Let's stand together and close our time in worship this morning. morning. So the challenge is to walk out of here empowered and excited about adventuring with God's Word. If you haven't jumped into the Bible reading plan with us, do it. There is nothing bad that will happen in your life from reading more Scripture. I promise you that. 
If you can, come back and join us tonight. We'd love for you to come and have chili with us and spend some time with us tonight as a community. But go from this place empowered by the Holy Spirit to understand the authority and the nature of the call of Christ and who you are in him. Go in peace.